Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello, good day, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. A very warm welcome to episode 44 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I am your host, and uh, we've got a a relatively short show today. There's not an awful lot of cruise news around, um, but... uh, we will be jumping over and speaking with Chris Frame very shortly to find out all things maritime history, answering a great listener question from Trevor, and of course, finishing up with uh, the latest cruise news of the week. Also, a big shout out for those of you that are listening, liking and subscribing and recommending the podcast uh, to your friend. We've seen some great growth over the last week, so I kindly ask you, again, if you know anybody that you think might enjoy this podcast, please send it on to them. And if you know two people, even better. Um, we are getting great engagement from the listeners. And uh, if you have a question and you want to be part of the show, you're more than welcome to uh, get in touch with us. Of course, you can do that via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. And in the top right-hand corner, you'll see Join the Show. That's where you can send in your listener question. It's where you can ask to uh, complete a cruise review, um, whether it's a, a, a more recent modern cruise, or as Chris mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if you want to talk about cruising of yesteryear, if you emigrated um, on one of the ships to elsewhere in the world and want to uh, relive that story, then we'd, we'd love to, certainly love to hear from you. Also, a quick reminder, if you want to support the show, you can do so just by buying a coffee. It's a virtual coffee. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. Just a $4 donation just helps to cover the cost of producing this uh, weekly podcast in its current format. But without uh, further ado, let's jump straight into it and head straight over to join Chris Frame. And our first guest on every show is always our good friend and maritime historian, Chris Frame. Chris, welcome back. Thanks so much, Baz. Yeah, it's Friday. It's another week. We've got heaps of cruise news as usual, but we're going to start off with maritime history. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is a question that comes up on your social channels quite a lot, where people in different parts of the world don't really understand the difference between the P&O brand and the fact that there are two fleets yeah. with different identities and different experiences sharing the P&O name. So 
I'll let you go in to explain the differences between P&O Australia and P&O UK. Sure. So yeah, the actual, um, like for us, I suppose here in, in Australia is pretty pretty obvious because most years when cruising is happening, the, the P&O UK ships come through our way um, as part of their world cruises. So we quite often have um, Arcadia or Aurora or back, back in the day, Oriana would come through and you'd see the, the differences between these ships that are from the UK with their different liveries and their different sort of style with the P&O mm-hmm. Australia ships that are based here. But when I was doing a, um, a live uh, face, uh, rather YouTube chat with um, Emma from Emma Cruises just recently, um, oh, yeah. I mentioned that and she based in the UK was like, what? There's <laughs> a P&O in <laughs> Australia. So um, it got me thinking that, that, that maybe perhaps people don't realize that. So it's actually, funny enough, Baz, the, the topic of this week's video for me as well. Oh, brilliant. But, um, good, uh, a, a good little link there. But um, the, um, the, the main differences between the two is the way that the two brands have positioned themselves in the, in the modern times. But basically, if you go back far enough, the, um, the two companies were, were well, the two brands were one brand. So say mm-hmm. um, in the era before um, jet aircraft came in, P&O was a, a big uh, conglomerate. It was a big steamship company. It had um, ships sailing all over the world. It had a cargo division. It had ports and all sorts of other things. Um, and when the jet aircraft, um, particularly the 707 and then the 747 started to make a big impact on the way people traveled, the, the demand for people going on line voyages between Australia and Britain and Britain and you know, India and Asia and all that sort of stuff, um, that, that, that reduced significantly. Mm-hmm. So P&O decided that the best way to, to save its passenger division, I suppose, is to concentrate on cruising. And a lot of the ships were retired, but some of, the, um, some of them were actually saved. And uh, those included ships like the Canberra, which was mm-hmm. uh, the flagship, and she was set to sail out of the United Kingdom. Um, originally, they tried a, a, a disastrous cruising season out of America, which almost led to Canberra being um, scrapped or, or at least retired. Um, oh, wow. But they had um, like an eleventh-hour sort of um, light bulb moment where they thought that if we do it in the UK with this British ship, it might work better, and, and it did. Canberra became very, very popular out of the UK. Um, and of course, there's a lot more to it than that, but I'm just sort of uh, paraphrasing, yeah. I suppose, the history. Um, and then, Baz, um, in Australia, you you might have heard of a, of a ship called the Oriana, um, mm-hmm. which this is the first Oriana, which was um, the original flagship of, well, the, the last flagship of Orient Line before P&O and Orient merged into one another. Okay. And um, Oriana was sent to Australia for cruising in the, in the 1980s. And she actually sailed out of Sydney. And so we start to see, I mean, cruising had been happening out of both the UK and out of Australia since the, for a long time, Australia particularly since the 1930s. But we really start to see in the 80s this, this sort of focus on cruising with P&O. Um, and then in the 70s and 80s, P&O uh, made a decision to sort of acquire um, other cruise lines to kind of create a cruise division i suppose so they acquired princess cruises in the 70s mm-hmm. and they acquired sitma in the 80s and sitma was an interesting one this is sitma cruises particularly yep. Sitma was also a much bigger company than just this cruise division um and they they opted to m- move most of the ships in fact all but one of the ships went from sitma across to princess but the one ship they kept 
as a individual was the Fairstar and she mm-hmm. was operating in Australia. So Sitmar was already cruising here and Fairstar was super popular. Um, I think we've spoken about her a number of times here before, like really casual, yep. um, very, very popular with the Australian cruise market at the time. And try as they would, other companies came into the market and, and in the 1980s and 90s just couldn't really get a foothold the way that Fairstar had. Um, so P&O actually moved her into a new division called P&O Holidays, which was an Australian division, which mm-hmm. then kind of morphed into P&O Australia, P&O Cruises Australia. Um, and at this stage, it was all sort of run by P&O. The head office was you know, they had an office in Sydney, but they were also obviously working with the, the UK division very, very closely. Mm-hmm. But over time, things started to sort of change a bit and P&O in the UK started to build new ships such as Oriana, Second Oriana and, um, and Aurora, whereas in Australia they were getting other ships from um, Princess Cruises and that sort of thing. Um, so we see Pacific Sky, for example, which was a former Sky Princess. And then in 2003 when Carnival and P&O Princess merged to create what is now the big Carnival Corporation, mm-hmm. um, the... Uh, decision, I suppose, was made to to really focus on the two brands, sort of in some kind of separately as two separate uh, experiences, I guess. So yeah. P&O in the UK is part of the Carnival UK division, um, and they have um, you know a fleet of ships that operate out of Southampton. They've got at the moment the fleet is all ships that were built specifically for P&O in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, in Australia. Um, there's been lots of ships that have sort of come and gone over the last 10 years. Um, there's been quite a few fleet changes over here. And currently there's three ships in the fleet. Um, Pacific Explorer, which used to be um, the Dawn Princess, and mm-hmm. she was actually sailing before COVID, um, became quite a popular ship, I think, with um, P&O Australia. And then um, there's two other ships that were both both grand class ships from Princess um, that have that have been moved across to to P and O in Australia, and they they're now named Pacific Adventure and Pacific Explorer. Completely different livery. Um, they've they've both got white ships, but with hull art. But the UK ones have the Union flag on the bow. The Australian ones have sort of like a wavy star sort of style mm-hmm. on the bow. Um, they both are called P and O Cruisers. They've both got different logos. Um, based on that, you know. P&O in the UK has the rising sort of sun motif. It's like a gold, gold yep, sun, yep. sunrise kind of um, uh, logo. In Australia, it's just the big P&O letters. Um, and they all have um, the, sort of that similarity in terms of the name, but the onboard experience is quite different. So like the UK yep. brand is a bit more formal. It's um, more luxurious, I suppose. Um, the Australian brand is, is that fun, casual, relaxed atmosphere um, and so the two are quite different, um, but share that same common heritage. Uh, and so it does, it does make it confusing, I suppose, at certain parts of the year when the P&O UK ships are here and you've got two, two ships next to each other that both have P&O written on them, but look different, mm-hmm. style's different, livery's different, what's going on? <laughs> and so that's sort of that. <laughs> now, just quickly, Baz, before, before we finish up, as a sidebar, P&O Princess was merged with Carnival Corporation, but P&O Steam Navigation Company, the actual parent company, I suppose, wasn't. And it yep. owned the ferries and the ports and infrastructure and yep. lustful stuff. And it ended up being purchased by, um, by Dubai, in Dubai and uh, now is owned, um, is owned by Dubai. So that 
that there's actually more than two PNOs. The, the video says uh, <laughs> that there are two PNO cruisers, but um, of course, there's there's more than two PNOs. And so, in yep. some situations, and here's the, here's the fu- the funniest part, I suppose. But if you were to get a PNO, you, you know, UK ship, a PNO Australia ship, and a PNO ferry, all to be in the same port together, I don't know how that would happen. But if you did, <laughs> <laughs> they'd all be owned by diff- like they'd all be different brands, but all with the yep. same name on them, and they all share the same house flag. So yep. they all wear, you can fly that historic PNO house flag. So. Yeah, it's an interesting company. Very, very um, interesting uh, way it's split up towards the end of it, towards towards the current day. Um, But all can be traced back to that original company, which was actually founded all the way back at the dawn of the steamship era. Yeah, I'd never given it any thought that um, you know Australians have come across PNO UK uh, possibly, but Brits would not not necessarily have even known that we exist down here. No, so, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and that's actually funny enough. The the, the majority of the feedback like um, is just from people that are outside of Australia saying, "Really? Okay, I didn't know that." <laughs> or or um, <laughs> you know, wanting to know what the differences are and like is what's an what's an Australianized cruise like and that sort of thing. You know, so obviously the the ships that that operate here. Um, for, in P&O's Australian fleet, it's that they've, you know, they're, they're former Princess Cruiser ships, but they've had multi-million dollar refits being kind of done up to allow them to appeal to the Australian market, which just makes them a little bit more like localised in terms of their approach, which is similar to what happened when Carnival sent Spirit and um, and Splendour down here. They kind of, they, they did like a light Australianisation um, yep. of them, but um, P&O obviously in Australia is like, an Australian brand, um, so those ships are very Aussie on board. Yeah, I mean, as a travel agent down here, we can book into both PNO UK and PNO Australia, obviously, all in the same reservation system. Um, but I wonder if travel agents in the UK can even see PNO Australia. Probably not. Who well, knows? I mean, I've I've travelled on PNO Australia a couple of times as a guest speaker, and um, you know, talking about PNO's history, funnily enough. Um, but I do, I do find that when you're on board, that the vast majority of people that you you meet and talk to are either from Australia or from New Zealand. So it's a very yeah, local yep. experience, like on board yep. the ship. Um, so there's, I don't think that there's people booking, you know, coming to Australia from the UK and booking cruises on PNO Australia um, yep. as a, as a big thing. But um, uh, you know, Australians do travel on the the PNO UK brand, and particularly when the ship's doing world cruises here, you, you see Aussies getting on board. Um, and again, I've, I've travelled both as a as a paid guest and as a guest speaker on PNO UK ships, um, and um, each time there, you do you not many, but you do find a few Australians on board. They quite often they will tell you the nationality of, um, you know, there's a, you know, they have the, yep. the cocktail party for the captain, and it's like there's two two thousand people from the UK, and they all cheer, and five Australians, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the Australians cheer really loud as well. So it's the same thing happens on Cunard and, and and other UK brands when there's there's Aussies on board. So it's um yeah, I think I think we know of the other brands a bit better than than they know of us. Yeah, and a little shout out to the chefs. I think uh, PNO UK has possibly got the best curry at sea. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, we're going to just to remind everybody as well, we normally touch on the video towards the end, but your video, as you mentioned, does tie in with this. And of course, mm. the link to your YouTube channel is always in the show notes. So yeah. if you want to find out a little bit more and see some visuals that go along with everything we've just spoken about, definitely um, yeah. head into the show notes and find Chris's YouTube channel. Yeah, the video has actually got um, some, some fantastic pictures of the history um, from the Henderson and Kramer collection because uh, 
Um, oh, Rob, wow. Rob Henderson and Doug Kramer are very, very generous with them, sharing their amazing archive with me. So um, that's a little bit of a treat in the video there. Brilliant. Yeah. Now, Chris, we've got a listener question, which is very much up your alley. Mm. Um, Trevor, who I'm guessing is in the UK, has booked a family cruise from Southampton. Yep. He's keen to take the kids down to Sea City Museum, which I know is uh, very uh, fun to you. Mm. Um, and he's asking, is it suitable for his children? They're about eight and ten years of age. And how much time would you need to do it justice? He's thinking of heading down, having a pre night stay in a hotel down there and having yeah. a, a good day in Sea City if there's enough for him to see and do with the kids. Yeah, I mean, Sea City's fantastic because it's got a number of um, different uh, displays and um, sort of areas where you can explore, but they also have a um, like a, an area in the museum which is de- dedicated towards kids' activities and, and that sort of thing. So the, the, Okay. Depending on what time of the year, because I mean, obviously, um, they have they have sort of different. I don't know where where he's from, so they might have different holidays to what you have in different parts of the world in terms of school holidays and that. But during the school holidays, I do think that they have a, a program that they run, which you can oh, find okay. information on on the CCC City website. Um, and those areas there is actually where they do also the the, the talks. So they have like a little lecture area and they have a, a kids studio with little tables where kids can do things and they make crafts and learn about the ships that way there's also a um a very detailed titanic exhibit okay so any kids that have read about titanic would i think you know would understand what they're seeing there um, and that actually includes interestingly enough a, a panel from the clock of the olympic when she was retired so you see oh. that you know, you see the photographs of Titanic's grand staircase and it's that sort of yeah. shot up at the staircase from the from the lower level looking up and you see the domed ceiling on top. That photograph mm-hmm. is actually taken on board the Olympic. It wasn't taken on the Titanic. Ah. And the clock with those, the, the honour and glory is what they call it, the two um, the, the two figures there holding the clock, that is actually yep. in Sea City Museum. So you can see the original, oh, wow. um, was saved from the ship when she was, when she was scrapped. Um, and then they also have... Um, a, a sort of an exhibition hall. When when I was last there, um, it was a, um, a an exhibition hall about the long duration voyages that um, that ocean liners were taking. Prior to that, one visit in the past when it was Cunard's 175th anniversary, they had a Cunard exhibition in there. Um, so they they changed that around a little bit depending okay. on what's going on. Um, look, I mean, I'm a maritime history. Um, buff I was when I was a kid so I would have found it fascinating there if your children are interested in that sort of thing I reckon you could probably have a really good day um, um, out if if they're not you could probably have a really good few hours there before they needed to do something else so definitely worth checking out and look I mean Sea City is right there near the um, right there by the uh, train station and uh, it's near uh, West Quay which is the, the big shopping precinct at um, at uh, Southampton, right. uh, so and there's hotels all over the place, like in that area. Yeah. So it's 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 pretty easy to um uh, to come and go. Um, and there's also a cafe as well. Um, and they have interestingly enough, it's nothing to do with ships, but in the cafe area, they have like a collection of old arcade games as well from the 1920s. <laughs> so you can see these old these old games. Yeah, it's interesting. And again, the other thing that that is kind of strange and different is the Sea City Museums actually. Um, made, built out from the old Southampton courthouses. And so when you're in the cafe, 
um, you go, if you go down to the, to the bathrooms, the bathrooms are actually in the old holding cells. <laughs> oh, really? And so you're walking down this corridor and there's like these metal sort of prisony doors and then it's like, ladies, gents, <laughs> family room, you know, um, and it's all sort of tiled in there. So it's like it's kind of got all these different elements to it. It's a, it's a modern museum because they built a big um, extension and it's got the the heritage bit, it's got the ships, the Titanic, and then it's got a prison sort of built into it as well, um, <laughs> which is kind of cool. But, um, you know, you should get um, Andy uh, Skinner. We should speak to him actually because he's the um, learning officer there at uh, at Sea City who who helps me with the – when I, oh, okay. I, do, I do some talks there sometimes. Uh, when I'm sailing on the um, ships out of Southampton, I'll pop into Sea City and, and, and give a little talk. Um, oh wow! And uh, and he he has all sorts of history and heritage about um, the Southampton Port, so he'd be a fascinating person to talk to as well. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, we'll definitely get him on the show for sure. Sounds uh, sounds interesting, Trevor. I'm sure that answers your question. In in short, do it. Uh, head down, and uh, when you've been there, let us know what you thought. Um, obviously, you're not cruising tomorrow, so uh, it's uh, probably a little bit down the track. But we'd love to hear your thoughts on Sea City when you've been down there. Chris, we're going to take a very short break, and then we'll be back to uh, do the cruise news. No worries. Hey, guys, did I mention there's a little way you can help keep this uh, podcast on air? That's right, just for the cost of a coffee, uh, so about four Aussie dollars, about two pounds something, about two euros something, um, you can make a donation and that helps uh, keep the lights on and keep the, the podcast uh, producing in, the, in this weekly format. Um, or you can join up as a member and make a, a monthly uh, subscription and in return receive some incredible um, bonus material as well. Um, all the details are on the show notes of each and individual podcast or you can head to uh, the website buymeacoffee forward slash the big cruise pod. And uh, we look forward to uh, shouting you out if you are able to uh, to make a little donation. Thanks in advance. Oh, Chris, we've got quite a bit of uh, cruise news this week. And the first one is some great news out of the South Pacific. The South Pacific being an area where cruise ships quite often um, come to the aid of the islanders uh, mm. in their time of need. And obviously, there's no ships there right now. But the, the cruise line is still trying to help out where they can. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that people don't think about. And particularly earlier or last year when there was you know, a bit of uh, reporting in relation to what was happening with cruising and COVID, pe- people didn't quite make the connection between all of the good things that cruise lines do for local communities. And one of those things is helping places, um, you know, um, where there's been, um, say, natural disasters in, in islands and uh, over in the US and, and in the Caribbean, if there's ever been like a hurricane or whatever, that the, the cruise yep. lines do a lot of support there as well. Um, and here, more closer to home, um, Vanuatu is one that, uh, that P&O has been um, working with for, for many years. They have a, a, a program um, where they they raise basically it's a, a dollar that's levied on each booking that goes towards um, these these causes and they've uh, working at the moment to help fix the, the hospital roof in the children's and maternity unit um, and so far um, apparently over twenty one thousand dollars has already been pledged. Yeah, and that's great, isn't it? Yeah, um, they they do some great things in there. As you said, they've they've quite often when. When weather and things have been thrown at the islands, they've been the first to mm. uh, to arrive and deliver aid and medical supplies and things. So um, there is always that, that good side that people forget about uh, to the cruise industry. Yeah. 
Now, Royal Caribbean have been in the news recently because there's been lots of talk about will or will crew and passengers be vaccinated or not. Mm-hmm. And a recent poll has come out by Royal Caribbean. Yeah, they're saying that 98% of their crew are okay with uh, with the idea of there being mandatory vaccines. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think um, that's obviously another very positive um, sign. And I think that a lot of crew who've been, you know, off their ship for over a year uh, are very, very keen to come back. Um, yep. And um, I think, I mean, you and I have flagged this in the podcast before, Baz. It, it looks like there's probably going to be more and more uh, of this across the travel industry, particularly transportation and airlines and cruising um, yep. uh, in terms of a, a way to ensure that people on board are, are safe on board. So um, great news from Royal Caribbean. Yeah, in fact, they, they also said they've already got 4,000 of their crew uh, vaccinated. So uh, they're, they're certainly making inroads to uh, to get us back to sea. Um, heading over to the UK next, um, a, a brand that is normally uh, uh, famous for its river cruise operations mm. has um, pivoted, as that word gets used an awful lot nowadays. And they're operating sea voyages within the UK for their UK passengers. Yes, that is absolutely correct. And interestingly enough, the ship that they're using has a long and interesting um, uh, history. So it's Riviera Cruises that you're referring to. And yep. their new new ship is Sea Venture, but she's actually the, the former um, Hapag Lloyd Bremen. Um, yeah. And she's an expedition ship. So she, she's been um, around since the 1990s and she's spent a lot of time going on, on long duration expedition voyages. And she was... Um, retired off from from Hapagloid, um, and um, now sails with Sea Venture, and she's going to start doing expedition voyages in the UK market, um, particularly focusing on Scotland. Uh, and what I thought was quite interesting is that the you know smaller ship, so it can get into locations where other bigger ships can't, and it also reduces your reliance on those long tender rides. Um, and uh, they'll be able to visit places like you know. Uh, off the coast of Balmoral Castle and they're going across to Ireland as well um, and even having quite long voyages as well, 15-day expedition cruises. So um, a, a different offering. And, again, I think there's going to be a, you know, people are, are keen on, on restarting cruising but also small ship cruising is, is sounding uh, quite uh, quite popular in the in the post-COVID world. So it should be interesting to see how, how she's, you know, received by the UK market. Yeah, I did a little bit of research actually on Bremen because mm. I knew of her from Hapagloid, but it's, uh, she's had quite a, a little career there. She actually discovered an uncharted island in Antarctica that <laughs> later got named Bremen Island. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, that's just the, the nature of this particular ship and those kinds of expedition ships is that they are doing that kind of more explore, exploratory type of cruising that – um, that they're able to do with their, you know, expedition ships quite often have ice-strengthened hulls, they have the Zodiac boats, they're smaller, they can go to locations where the bigger ships just can't get in. So uh, people often say to me, like, you know, well, particularly before COVID, was that what's going to happen with cruising? How, how can it continue to grow? And it's because there's just so many different types of cruises that are available now um, yep. from, from the expedition trips all the way through to the, to the big uh, multi, you know, multi-story ships. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, excellent. Um, moving on to Oceania, we spoke about them a couple of weeks ago because their world voyage sold out in some record time. From memory, I think mm. it was le- less than an hour mm. or something. Um, they've um, rushed out their next deployment, which will be the, they call it Tropics and Exotics. And here in Australia, we fall under the Tropics and Exotics banner. So yeah. uh, 
What are they doing in 22 and 23? Well, they're having um, a number of trips. I think it's 127, 127 voyages, I think it is, that um, they're offering over that period of time on their different ships um, that range, um, there's like a 70-day range gap between the shortest cruise, I think seven days, and the longest is 77 days. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, just highlights that I saw. I mean, again, Antarctica seems to be the place to be at the moment. Um, so they're going to have um, voyages that take that in as well. I guess that's exotics. <laughs> Um, there's going to be trans-Tasman trans voyages, which would be great for Australians and New Zealanders. Um, they're taking in India, and they're also going to the Amazon. So that does sound exciting. Oh, wow. But there's a lot more. I won't read them all, but um, uh, just the ones that, that popped out um, when I was looking at their, their itineraries, um, those are the ones that I thought um, sounded pretty exciting. Yeah, and all these new voyages go on sale uh, early next week, uh, 4th, uh, 4th of March, mid-next week, should I say. Hmm. Um, and Australian brand Travel Marvel, which falls under the APT group, um, they've just announced a new luxury small yacht in Croatia. Yes, it's the third of these of these yachts. Um, she's called Lady Eleganza, um, and I think you said to me off air that you have sailed on one of them before. One of the other ones. Yes, I sailed on Queen Eleganza yeah. oh, about two years ago. Now, fantastic experience. Fantastic. Yeah, so there are about uh, about just over thirty people on board. Um, and doing these voyages in Croatia. And interestingly enough, there's a variety of different Croatian ports. Um, the two that stood out to me are the two that I've been to before. So there's Dubrovnik, which, I, I, again, I, I found to be just a fascinating place to visit. We were only there for a day. Um, and, and also Split, which is great for, for walking. You know, you can just get around the city quite easily on foot, and there's markets there as well that, um, that, that are, you know, really interesting place to visit and lots of different things that you can see and do there. But these ships, they, they do, or these yachts, they, they do overnight stays in all of the ports, um, mm-hmm. meaning that you have the opportunity to go out at night, um, you know, telling you, Baz, you've done it yourself, <laughs> and explore, <laughs> um, spend time ashore, eat at the local restaurants, and then come back to your sort of home, away from home for the for, for the evening and the next morning you wake up and you can you can be in a different location. So, um, yeah, fa- fascinating um sounding itineraries and um look from listening to what you were saying it does sound like something that i would really love to try one day oh absolutely croatia is beautiful in itself and every island every coastal town has got something different to offer you know different areas were conquered by the venetians or the by the romans others by the ottomans so everything yeah. everywhere you go it's just a slightly different uh, twist on the the croatian hospitality and the, the croatian history there so definitely recommend everybody go not everybody because we can only hold 34 people yeah. on this boat uh, but uh, there's uh, lots of choices with different operators there but apt and travel marvel are certainly one of the best in croatia so uh, look it up sounds good and uh, staying in Europe, our friends at MSC have just hit the six-month countdown to the launch of their next ship. Yes, the, the new ship's the Seashore, um, and she's going to be their new flagship. It seems like MSC's had a lot of, a lot of flagships recently <laughs> as each <laughs> new one comes online. Um, this ship's you know, one, of their, one of their largest um, class of ships. It's, uh, it's got two sister ships, so it's the, the third in the, in the trio. Um, and she's got something like well, some amazing stats. I mean, she's got six swimming pools on board. Um, so, you know, it's interesting they've kind of gone the complete opposite to what a brand like Virgin Voyages has done. Yeah. <laughs> having yeah. lots and lots of swimming pools. Um, and they've got terraced suites, so you can have, um, you know, multi, multi-story suites in some of these um, in some of the cabins there if you've got the, if you've got the means to travel that way. Um, and um, even some of the... Um, 
accommodation has its own outdoor whirlpool. So that sounds a bit awesome um, to be able to sit out on the a private veranda in your own private whirlpool <laughs> or spa, I suppose <laughs> if you call it here. Um, so yeah, it sounds like it's gonna be a, a, a great ship. And um, you know, MSC is such a such a big brand um, these days. They've got so many ships and they've got so many large ships. And you think how how far they've grown in just the last sort of twenty years is remarkable. Yeah, no, it is. And of course, they also have the uh, the fleet of uh, merchant ships as well, mm, uh, which yep, uh, yep. Uh, can be seen all over the world. Um, and what I love about uh, MSC, not that I've ever sailed on them, but I think they were one of the first that con- pioneered this concept of a ship within a ship. So, you know, we now see Norwegian with their, their Haven and MSC um, have the, the Yacht Club, which is very much for the, the upper end accommodation and has some exclusive perks and privileges within that. But uh, you can either stay on that little bubble or you can go and experience all of the big ship amenities as well. So you, you do get mm. the best of, of both areas there. It's funny because... Uh... When if you look look back in in time a bit, and you think of a of a um, of a brand, you know the the way that uh, it used to be a class structure on ships, um, yeah. and you know even in more recent times, some of the some of the more um, upper end older brands had still had like restaurants assigned to cabin categories and that sort of thing. And in the nineties, that was sort of seen as an old fashioned way of doing things. And all the new modern cruise lines came out where everything was open. And now yeah. um, all these years later, back. <laughs> they've got such big ships now that you can actually create these sort of experiences within experiences. And it's kind of seen as being this sort of um, forward thinking new way of doing things. But it actually is just looping back I suppose, <laughs> to, to, to the way that things were, were done a little bit more in the past. I mean, it's not the same as, there's no steerage on board, but but it is it is interesting that you have these sort of like um, uh, it's almost like the the airport lounges where you have the the, the Qantas yep. club and then you can have the chairman's lounge if you yeah. if you've got the right um, the right key card, you know. <laughs> Incredible. Now uh, that's all we've got in the, the news for this week. We've touched on your video, but is there anything else going on in your little cruise world, Chris? Uh, no, yeah, just uh, if. Look, I mean, if anybody's listening um, who has something they'd like to see explored either in the maritime history section of the podcast or thought it might be a great idea for a video, like a question like, is there two P&Os, something you might not have an answer to or you just want to reach out, just just feel free to leave a message on the, on the podcast. I, I always enjoy um, a challenge and, um, you know, ideas are always welcome, so... Please, Ooh, the challenge is set. Yeah, it's great. And we're still waiting for somebody to, to come back with an old um, yeah. heritage cruise experience. So, um, you know, that, that would be great. You could be the first person to share your your memory of, of trips on um, Aronce or Orcades or, <laughs> um, or the old Canberra. Yeah, one of the ships of yesteryear. Yes, absolutely. Well, the Fair Star. Has anyone cruised on the Fair Star? I would love to Hard hear... Them. About the first star, be. yeah, there must but be. I mean, half be. of Australia cruise on the first star, so um, <laughs> so come on, let's um, let's get some first star reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, Chris. It's uh, always a pleasure. As I mentioned before, your link to your YouTube channel is in the podcast notes for everybody to share. Just a reminder: if anybody does have anything for Chris or myself, uh, you can get in touch via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. In the top right-hand corner, there is a button called Join the Show, and that's where you can send everything through to us. Or, of course, get in touch via social media. Chris, it is always a pleasure every week. We look forward to speaking again same time next week. Thank you, Baz. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.